straight out of context. For God so loved the world, I can do all things through Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's not wishing for any to perish, for by his wounds you were healed. I pray that you may all prosper and be in good health. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it shall be opened to you. Judge not that you be not judged. Train up a child in the way he should go and an eye for an eye. Repent and be baptized. We're just lifting up the name. If you ask me anything in my name, if my people who are called by my name. You know, you've heard these verses. Do you know what they mean? Straight out of context. We're starting right now. Your weekly hermeneutical podcast. And welcome to Straight Out of Context. Here we are on our fifth pre-episode. This is a preview episode. It's only going to be 10, 15 minutes. Our regular episodes are going to be about a half an hour. And what we're doing in these primer episodes is we're just going over and reviewing some fallacies and some errors people make in their interpretation of Scripture. When we get into the meat and the potatoes of things, we're going to go through an entire hermeneutical process. We're going to actually learn the process of it. We're going to learn how to do it. And most importantly, we're going to take examples of how people have twisted Scripture, and we're going to correct those things and learn the real outcome and the real application of what the Bible is teaching on those. Today, I want to talk about the error that is very common known as a narrative application. Now, I made that word up and made that term up. I don't know if it's what people would call it or not. They may call it something else. But either way, we do this when we see something taught in the narrative of Scripture. And the narrative would be a story that's written, um, whether it's true or whether it's a parable or whatever. Um, And we'll talk about parables later. But let's use, for example, the teaching of Paul uh, to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, where he calls people out. Or, for example, like when he does it in Titus, he calls people out by name. Now, that's the narrative of what took place, and it's also in an epistle or a letter written to the elders of the local church. So here's the apostle teaching the elders how to do the pastoral ministry. And in the midst of his teaching, he says, hey, remember to be careful for these guys. I've turned them over to Satan. Let's pray God will grant them repentance so they may come to the knowledge of the truth and escape the snare of the devil who took them and captured them to do his bidding. So we see the apostle doing that. But Paul doesn't teach then in that expression that Timothy should do that. He doesn't teach. Now, you go tell the church uh, that we're going to be on a witch hunt and look for things. No. Now, Timothy read this letter to the churches, and they copied it and read it to more churches, so everybody in the way knew who these people were and that they were in error. But that's not a didactic. That's not a command from Scripture or an, a way for us to apply that we should go around calling out false teachers. And it really wasn't necessarily false teachers, but it was people who were doing great grave damage to the local assembly. These people were together in the ministry with Paul and in other places, and they hurt him terribly. For example, like Demas, who was in love with this present world. He was not a believer, and so through church discipline, he was kicked out. And so that is the application there, because Jesus even says to do that, and Paul says to do that, and by the teaching of Scripture, that we should kick people out of the church if they do not turn from their sin and correct their error or their behavior, especially if they're causing division. Let's use another one, the narrative of when Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple. And depending on which one and which version you use, you see some similarities in the stories, and it goes something like this. Jesus goes into the outer course of the temple. He sees the money changers. He walks up to the money changers in one account, 
uh, one cleansing, and he shoes away the, their animals, and he takes and turns over their tables. And in another account, he turns over the tables and throws their money and, kick, and, and kicks them out of the temple and runs off all their animals and uncages all their birds. Either way, you get the picture that when Jesus cleansed the temple, he made a mess of things. So he goes in and he kicks over tables and he tears up their inventory and he just does things that we would think um, is a little bit crazy. But Jesus did not sin in that. He is God. And he is fulfilling prophecy in that, that he would have a zeal for his father's house. And when he said, this is my father's house, do not turn it into a den of thieves, because he knew the hearts of these men. And so his judgment is true and righteous. But this is a narrative of showing the fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ, as well as showing the teaching of, of, of what Christ did in his ministry. This is not for us to take to heart and say, oh, we can go into churches, and when they're selling donuts, we can kick over the donut stands and throw the coffee urns. No, that's not the point. More, much less is it the point for us to actually get an attitude with people who aren't doing things quite the way the Bible says they should be doing them. I mean, let's be honest. Which of us are following Scripture to the T, so much so that God is thinking, man, if he had just not been born under Adam, he'd have been perfect? None of us. None of us are doing that. So when it comes to interpreting and applying Scripture, let's not use the narratives of Scripture to afford us a command. Let's not use it as a way of, of reinforcing our practices, especially when they're negative, especially when they give us some authority. We're not Jesus, and we are not apostles. They're neither of the, of the roles of the Christ or an apostle are up for grabs. They're done, and there's no one that's going to take their places. And so when we think about the narrative of Scripture, you might say, well, I disagree with that. Well, I'm glad you do, but let's use some common sense in the narrative of Scripture. Let's look at what is being taught and ask ourselves, is this a command for me to follow? Is this a pattern of behavior for me to emulate? Or is this just teaching me about what really happened in Scripture? Because if we're going to do it in these places, like calling people out or being rude, that's another one where Jesus calls people snakes. He says to the, to the, uh, to the Jews, you are a brood of viper, a, a, a brood of vipers, a, a pit of vipers, excuse me, and you are wolves and dogs and all of these things. People say, well, you know what? Jesus told it like it was. He wasn't telling it like it was. He's God. He knows their heart. He understands the essence of their depravity, and he speaks to them in such a way with all authority. Now, it's not wrong for us to teach that scripture. It's not wrong for us to show someone who's doing something unnecessarily uh, greedily or making money in the context of the assembly of the church and trying to be a profiteer. It's not wrong for us to say, hey, beloved, or hey, brother, or hey, sir, or friend. They may not even be a brother. Uh, you're doing some things that I think you should listen to the scripture here. You remember when Jesus cleansed the temple and we show them the narrative, but it doesn't give us the authority to go in and kick over his tables. It doesn't give us the authority to call someone a snake just because they may emulate or look or smell or think like a snake or like a Pharisee. We can't do these things. We must have wisdom because to do those things would violate the very direct teaching or the commands of where Jesus says to love your enemies, to pray for them, to turn the other cheek, to keep quiet, to subject yourself to the one who is faithful, like Peter said, Jesus did. Or Paul would say, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though Jesus took, was equal with God, he did not take equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, obedient as a slave, obedient unto death. So in that way, where do we have the right to think that the narrative gives us the role as Jesus? It doesn't.
But let's just say that it did. Let's just say those commands weren't there. So if we do it on this end, then we can actually take and apply that same that same way of thinking to other narratives. Like, for example, in the Old Testament, where we see Sodom and Gomorrah, where we see the man throwing out his daughters to pacify the rapists. Now, is that something that we're taught to do? Of course not. We would say, that's absurd. That's just wicked, and he shouldn't have done that. That's correct. It's not teaching us that that is right. It's just teaching us that it happened. And I'm not at all comparing the work of Jesus and the apostles and the teaching and the way they acted with that wickedness. But I am showing you the absurdity to say that this is something that the Bible shows, so let's just do it in the same manner. No, the Bible is not commanding us to do this. It's just revealing that this did take place. And the teaching that comes from that has theological principles that are far exceeding the narrative of Scripture, far exceeding the command that we might want to pull from that. It teaches us who Christ is. It teaches us what Christ has done. And that is the revelation of God to His people. And so as we think about the interpretation of Scripture, and most importantly, as we think about the application of Scripture, there is always time to sit and wisely consider and prayerfully consider how do we take this teaching, how do we take this narrative, how do we take this story and make it applicable for our lives? And beloved, let me tell you, that's why we have to learn and be taught and to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. Pastor, I want to encourage you, if you're listening, to think about how you set up your preaching schedule. If you set your preaching schedule by topics that you think your church needs to hear or by holidays, I want you to throw that away. I want you to prepare your heart and pray about throwing that type of behavior and action away. And just consider what book of the Bible that you're reading, what letter of the New Testament are you really involved with personally. Then taking up the reins of expositing that text verse by verse, if it goes quickly, great. If it takes you years, more power to you. But God will do more in the exposition of his word than he will ever do in the creativity of the pastor. So I want you to remember that. Remember that God's word is sufficient, that if we teach it, if we use it for correction, for training in righteousness, for instruction, for rebuke, etc., that the man of God is successful in all that he does. We don't need anything else. So as we're interpreting scripture, let us remember that we don't need to personalize it, we don't need to abuse it, we don't need to twist it, and we don't need to make narratives commands. Thank you for listening, and hope you listen to us next week or two as we continue to do some of these previews, and we're looking forward to the day we launch the initial podcast. Lord bless.